As a believer, you can be sure of heaven. Live righteously with confidence in your Savior. This is the third message in the series, Life After Life. The message is entitled, How Can I Know I'm Saved? Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. As we continue our series entitled, Life After Life, and my topic this weekend is, How Can I Know That I Am Saved? How can I know that I'm going to heaven when I die? How can I know that I am saved? In this series, we are talking about the afterlife, what happens when you die. That's a very important topic because the last time, as I mentioned, that I checked statistics, one out of one people die. You're going to die if Jesus doesn't come back before that time in your life. There'll be a moment that you and I will all breathe our last breath, and we never know when that's coming. We have multiple funerals here over a month time, generally speaking, and we have funerals for people of all ages, young people, middle-aged, older. You never know when that day is going to happen in your life. And the most important decision that you will ever make in your life is the decision as to what will happen with your life after this life. When you die, where are you going after this life? As the Scripture says, there are only two Options. I gave you a little diagram last week. We're going to put it on the board again this week. I have expanded it just a little bit, changed some of the wording. If you copied last week, I would really encourage you to look at this one. It's a bit more complete in nature. Uh, the, the Lord talks about giving us the gift of life. And let me just make that very clear. The gift of life doesn't happen when you're born. The gift of life happens at the moment of conception. As soon as you're, you're, you are conceived in your mother's womb, as there's that moment of fertilization, life happens. You are a being. You're a created being of God. Yes, you're in your mother's womb for nine months until you have your birth date, but life happens at the moment of conception. The Bible is very clear that God knows us even in our mother's womb. So we understand this is a valuable spiritual principle. We believe here in the sanctity of life. We believe that God is the author of life. Life begins at conception. But coming out of those nine months, there'll be a point in time when you will enter the world, and that's called your birthday, and everybody has a birthday. And you will live for X number of years, and that little dash that you see between life and death represents the X number of years that you will live, and there will be a point in time, as I mentioned earlier, that you will die. And on your headstone and on your birth certificate, there will be a time and a date of your departure from this world. If you've ever been a part of someone's funeral or someone who's passed away, you know there's a death certificate. Just as surely as there is a birth certificate, there is a death certificate and a date on that death certificate. And then after you die, the Bible teaches us that there are two intermediate states. Intermediate because we're waiting for the final consummation of the ages, the intermediate state. We're waiting for Jesus to come back again. And there are two intermediate states. There's the intermediate state called paradise. We get this from Jesus' words himself with the thief on the cross that asked to be remembered by Jesus. And today, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And so we see that there's this intermediate place. It's a heavenly place called paradise. There's an intermediate place called Hades. Jesus talked about that and the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. We talked about that last week. And all of this is awaiting something that will be a phenomenal day when Jesus comes back 
again. We live for that day that Jesus Christ is going to return. He will return bodily to this earth. And after that time, there will be what we know to be the final judgment, the day of the Lord or the day of judgment. And then there will be the final judgment that represents the, the if you will, the conclusion of where eternity will be spent by you based upon your relationship with God and Christ, either eternal heaven. And at that point in time, we'll talk about this more in the days to come. There's a lot of stuff I can't cut. Excuse me, cover today, but there, there will be a new heaven and a new earth that will happen as the consummation, and then there will be those that will be assigned to hell for all eternity. As I mentioned to you last week, it is not that God sends you to hell, people send themselves to hell by the choices that they make in life. Now, what about us? What do we need to know about going to, yes, certainly intermediate paradise, but the ultimate experience of heaven, a new heaven and a new earth? The Apostle Peter speaks of this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 3. All honor to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for it is His boundless, it is His boundless mercy that has given us the privilege of being born again so that we are now members of God's own family. Now we live in the hope of eternal life because Christ rose again from the dead. And God has reserved for his children the priceless gift of eternal life. It is kept in heaven for you pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. And God in his mighty power will make sure that you get there safely to receive it because you are trusting him. It will be yours in that coming last day for all to see. So be truly glad. This is a, there is a wonderful joy ahead even though the going is rough for a while down here. The anticipation of eternal life is what gives us hope as a believer in Jesus. It's also what frees us from something that torments a lot of people. And whether we would admit it or not, there's a lot of people, and perhaps this, this includes you, that spend, will spend a portion of their life under the fear of death, the fear of death. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Again, I'm reading from the Living Bible. Since we, God's children, are human beings made of flesh and blood, he became flesh and blood too by being born in human form. For only as a human being could he die and in dying break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in that way could he deliver those who through the fear of death have been living all their lives as slaves to constant dread. Jesus came to give us the hope of eternal life. Jesus came to free us from the fear of death. And here is the question that you need to seek to answer in your life. How can you be sure that you are saved? How can you be sure that you're going to heaven when you die? Four things I want to lay out for you today. Let me say something before I give you these four things. Many of you perhaps who've been Christians for a, a period of time in your life, these four things are not going to be new to you. But they are important to review. They're important for you to review for your own solidity of faith, a good foundation for your own faith. They're also important for you as a believer in Jesus to know so that you can share these with other people. Every Christian believer is called to be a bearer of the good news. 
The preaching of the good news, the sharing of the good news is not just something assigned to the pastor on Sunday. Every one of us as believers need to be sharing the good news of Jesus with others. And these four points I'm going to share with you today will help you in that process. And it's also vital if you're not sure where you're going when you leave this life that you listen closely to these four points today. Number one, first principle, salvation is not automatic. We sometimes fall into the trap of believing that that heaven is an automatic destination for everybody. Oh yeah, everybody that dies goes to heaven. It's not true. Heaven is not automatic. There are two final destinations, not just one. And these two final destinations, as I talked about last weekend, are very real. They're places of conscious reality, heaven and hell. The idea that everyone goes to heaven is generally fueled by two philosophies, two isms. Let me lay these out for you. One is universalism. Universalism says, well, Jesus died for the world, so after all, because he died for the world, everybody's going to be saved. doesn't matter what they do. Everybody's going to sort of go to heaven. Not true, because that negates the reality of something precious that God gave you that's called a free will, the capacity to choose. And so, no, not everyone that dies is going to heaven. Universalism is a false philosophy. It is a heresy. There's another ism. It's called pluralism. And pluralism is the idea that there are many ways to God, that it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something and you're sincere about it because all roads lead to God. No, all roads do not lead to God. Not all roads lead to D.C., And it's extremely important that we understand that there are not lots of different roads and lots of different ways because God made it clear going all the way through the pages of the Bible, starting in Genesis and concluding in the book of Revelation to weave into the story of humanity something called the redemptive story leading up to the coming of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And Jesus himself made this declaration in John chapter 14. He said, I am the way I I am the truth, and I am the life. Please understand, there is a definite article there. He didn't say, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a life. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Anyone who comes to the Father comes by or comes through me. So the Bible is very clear, and the Bible is very clear about two destinations when people Die. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he's talking about the last great day, then he will sit upon his throne. All the nations, everybody, nobody's left out here. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. And then in verse 34, 
He continues the theme. Then the king will turn to those on his right and say, you have a special place in my father's heart. Come and experience the full inheritance of the kingdom realm that has been destined for you from before the foundation of the world. Verse 41, then to those on his left, the king will say, leave me. One translation says, depart from me, for you're under the curse of eternal fire that has been destined for the devil and all of his demons. Heaven is a destination. Hell is a destination. And to get to the destination called heaven, there is a right path for us to take. Listen to me clearly today. I don't want there to ever be any confusion in your mind. Heaven is not automatic. There are entrance requirements for heaven. Here's your second principle today. You can't qualify yourself for heaven. What is heaven? Let's ask ourselves that question. What is heaven? Heaven is the place God lives, right? Right? That's where God lives. And so what is God's place like? Well, God's place is permeated by who he is. Just like your house reflects your personality. Okay. Well, God's place of abode reflects his nature. It reflects his character. And so who is God? We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. God is holy and God is righteous and God is pure and God is perfect and God is completely holy. In heaven, there is complete obedience to the will of God. The last time there was any disobedience in heaven was a time when an angel by the name of Lucifer rose up against God and decided to do things his way and pulled a third of the angels with him, and he was cast out of heaven. We know him now to be Satan, the diabolical one, the one who is in fact the enemy, the arch enemy of God, and that was the moment he was kicked out of heaven. Why? Because heaven is a place where the will of God is always done perfectly. Look at this description of heaven in Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, the house of God? How can you get there? How can you live there? Who may stand in his holy place? Now, here's the answer to that question. Who can hang out with God? Who can be in God's presence? Verse 4, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. Oh, no, all of us are in trouble. Who lives with God? Those that have pure hands, a clean heart, that have never lifted up their soul to an idol or never sworn falsely. Can I ask you a question today? Let's just be logical. Are your hands completely pure? Of course they're not. All of us have sinned. We all have stains of sin on our lives, of things that we've done. And so we can't, by our own nature, have pure hands. Do you have a clean heart? No, all of us have hearts that have been marred by sin. We've all had things in our heart. There have been times you've had anger in your heart and resentment in your heart and bitterness in your heart and hatred in your heart and all kinds of other things in your heart. We all have because we're human beings. Has there ever been a time in your life that you've lifted up your soul to an idol? Of course you had. There have been times in all of our lives where someone else or something else has been in front of God in our lives. It's called an idol. Have you, have you been a person who's never sworn falsely? No, all of us have been guilty at times of, of, of twisting the truth and not being completely honest with ourselves and God and others. And so we have these issues. And so if we're going to hang out with God, we're in trouble because we don't have pure hands and a pure heart. and We, we don't have clean hands and a pure heart. And we're, we're not free of idolatry in our lives. 
So if you're going to qualify to go to heaven, dear ones, yourself, you've got to be, listen closely, you've got to be completely holy. You've got to be completely perfect. You've got to be the person that never does anything wrong and is always completely right and righteous. And many of us try to make this excuse, well, maybe if I just do enough good things that will outweigh the bad things, sort of like there's a scale, if you will, with God, and I know that I do some bad things, but maybe I'll do just enough good things with God that that will tip the balance, and when I die, He will let me into heaven because my good outweighs my bad. No, that doesn't work that way because no matter how many good works that you do in your life, it still doesn't solve the problem. The problem is not with your external, the problem is with your internal. Because the real issue for our lives is not what we do outwardly, it's what we are inwardly. It's our, our sinful nature contrary to the nature of God. That's the biggest problem. So our outward stuff that we do comes from a heart that is unclean. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 12. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. And Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1, the Apostle Paul is describing us before people before they meet Jesus. He's describing you and me right here in these verses. See if you can't identify of your, in your life before you met Jesus. Once you were under God's curse, doomed forever for your sins, you went along with the crowd and were just like all the others, full of sin, obeying Satan, the mighty prince of the power of the air who is at work right now in the hearts of those who are against the Lord. All of us used to be just as they are, our lives expressing the evil, notice where, within us, doing every wicked thing that our passions or evil thoughts might lead us into. We started out bad, being born with evil natures, and we're under God's anger just like everyone else. The bad news for us is this. All of us are lost. All of us are helpless. When it comes to trying to qualify yourself for heaven, it's something that you and I cannot do. You cannot qualify yourself for heaven. It's impossible for you and I to do. We can't be perfect enough to, to earn our way into heaven. Here's our third point today. And with this one, I'm hoping I get a little bit of a shout of hallelujah, okay? Because this is where the good news begins. Your ticket to heaven has been purchased for you. That's a fairly tepid response, but I need my time, so I'm not going to ask you to do it again, okay? I know you're just thinking about it, aren't you, okay? Your ticket to heaven has been purchased for you. You can't qualify for heaven. You and I couldn't get there on our own. There's not, not anything good that you could do that would earn you the way to heaven because even though you are doing good things, all of us have a, a heart that is twisted toward evil. And so we, we can't earn our way there. We are lost. And so people that are lost need to be saved. They need to be found. They need to be delivered. And God loved us so much that he took the necessary steps to help us in our condition. He looked down upon humanity and he realized and understood that we were helpless to get into relationship with him, helpless to spend eternity with him. And so God says, I'm going to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. I will send my only begotten son into the world who has never sinned, 
never will sin, and he will go to the cross and give his life as a sacrifice for the sins of mankind so that there can be a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He came, dear ones, as our Savior. And what it means to be a Savior is it means that we were helpless and we needed to be saved. Think about someone who's out in the middle of the Pacific or Atlantic Ocean and they're, they're shipwrecked and they've been thrown overboard and it's just a matter of time before the wind and the waves and all the terrible conditions that they're in and the salt water and the sun is about to destroy them and they're going down for the third time and someone shows up and reaches the hand out and pulls them into the boat and gives them salvation. There's a Savior. Saviors help helpless people. To understand this, you've got to understand some valuable things. The Bible teaches us. This is where you've got to, you and I have to understand these principles. The Bible teaches, and humanity understands this, that wrongdoing always calls for punishment, right? That's why we have the judicial system in our nation, that there's wrongdoing, and so wrongdoing demands punishment. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis in chapter 3, where Adam and Eve sinned against God, and the Bible says, so the Lord God banished Adam from the Garden of Eden to work the ground which he had been taken. So in other words, that was a judgment, if you will, for his sin. Wrongdoing always results in punishment. Sin is wrongdoing. That's what sin is. Sin is when you do something wrong, violating God's law, violating God's will. So sin is wrongdoing, and it deserves judgment, and it deserves punishment. That's what the Old Testament sacrificial system was all about. In the Old Testament, you read about the sacrifices, that when someone would sin, they would have to go to the priest, and they would bring with the priest a lamb or a goat, a goat or some kind of an animal, and they would have to present that animal to the priest, and the priest would lay the animal on an altar, and that person would have to watch as that animal was killed, and the blood would, tr would trickle down the side of that that altar, and they would realize that that animal took my place. That animal took my place, and so here was the problem. Every time you sinned and violated God's principle, you got to get back to the priest again. You got to bring some offering to the priest again, and some life has to be taken over and over and over again, a visual representation of the fact that life is in the blood and sin deserves Sin deserves judgment and punishment. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus willingly came to the world and he died as the sinless son of God for our sins. When Jesus went to the cross, he accepted our punishment. When he went to the cross, that was the altar when he went to the cross and they stretched his hands out as we'll be celebrating on Good Friday and nailed his hands to the cross members of that cross and his feet to that cross, that vertical aspect of the cross. And when they, when they pierced his side with that spear and blood and water came out, that was the sacrificial moment God placed in that moment, the judgment for our sins upon Jesus. And in that moment when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was this moment where God 
was separated from his son, pouring out judgment and wrath upon him. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6, but he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. John the Baptist understood it when he saw Jesus coming one day. John 1.29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Paul writes about this in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, what did Christ do? Christ died for us. We're talking today about how do you know you're going to heaven when you die. How can you be sure that you're going to heaven when you die? And here's the thing I want you to see in this point as we're bringing up everything we've said to this crucial moment. Jesus, listen, Jesus offers the free gift, the free gift of salvation for all who sincerely put their faith in him, accepting him as their personal Savior and Lord. Let me read that again. Jesus offers the free gift of salvation for all, for all who sincerely put their faith in him, accepting him as their personal Lord and Savior. This is found in many places in Scripture, Romans 10, 9, and 10. Wonderful passage that outlines how can you be sure that you're going to heaven when you die? How can you know that you have eternal life? Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, love this, God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. A lot of people say, well, I'll just try to do my best and hope I get to heaven by doing what the best I can do. And if I can just sort of stack up some good works in my life, then certainly God will be impressed with that. If I can be religious enough and do all the religious things, then certainly God will let me in heaven. All those things are good. You can go to church regularly and do all those things. Join a church, become active in church. You can be a tither. You can do all the great things that you can think about that a good religious person would do, but none of those things will ever get you to heaven because they're not sufficient. They don't change your nature. There's only one thing that can change you from the inside out, and that's when you come to that place to confess with your mouth, Jesus is now Lord of my life. Jesus is Lord. And I believe that he went to the cross and died for my sins. And I believe that God raised him from the dead because death could not hold him because there was no sin in him. And I'm confessing him as my Lord. I believe that God raised him from the dead. And I lay hold of this wonderful gift of salvation. Salvation is never earned. You cannot earn it. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift. And it's a gift that is offered to every person here today, every person 
watching online, every person around the universe, around the world today, that gift is offered. And the key thing with a gift, a gift is never your gift until you receive it. It's never yours until you take it. And that's the gift of salvation. And so many people are refusing that gift or failing to acknowledge or accept that gift. And that's the very gift that will get you eternal life. And so my question for you today is, have you received the gift? You can't earn your way there. Have you taken the gift that Jesus freely offers to you? And that gift is given to you on the basis of two very important biblical words. It's given to you on the basis of mercy and grace. Say those words with me. Come on, let's try it again. Mercy and grace. You don't earn it. You receive the gift on the basis of God's mercy, on the basis of God's grace. So we need to understand those two words. Let's talk about mercy. Put it on the screen if you will. What is mercy? Read it together with me. Mercy is I don't get the bad I deserve. That's what mercy is. Anybody that goes to a court of law and they plead mercy to the judge, they know they've done wrong, but they're saying, would you please not give me the bad I deserve? I plead for your mercy. Mercy from God is that he's not going to give you the bad that you deserve. You and I deserve hell. You know what I deserve because of my nature, my rebellious nature against God? I deserve hell. I deserve to be eternally separated from God. But I'm thankful that God has shown me mercy through Jesus Christ. Anybody here today thankful for the mercy of Almighty God and the fact that in Jesus he is withheld from me? Me, the bad that I deserve. But that doesn't, it doesn't stop there. There's something else. It's not just mercy, but he also saves us by his grace. What is grace? Answer the question here. Read it with me. I get the incredible blessings and favor of God I don't deserve. Mercy says, I'm not going to punish you. Grace says, I'm going to bless you. I need to say that again. Mercy says, I'm not going to punish you, but grace says, I am going to pour out my favor upon you. I'm going to pour out my blessing upon you. I'm going to let you be a part of my family. I'm going to put my Holy Spirit inside of you. I'm going to give you an eternal home in heaven. I'm going to bless you beyond anything that you could have ever imagined. So we're saved not by what we do. How do you know you're going to heaven when you die. There's only one way to be sure and to do it the Bible way. And the Bible way is confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Amen. The question for you and me is have we done that? And that leads me to my last point. Because if you've done that, here's something that you need to be aware of. You can be sure of heaven. When you and I put our faith in Jesus, we truly repented of our sins, turned away from a life apart from God and turned toward God, we can be sure that we're going to heaven. I have people ask me, Pastor, after I'm saved, can I lose my salvation? How can I be sure that I'm going to really be saved? Can I lose my salvation? And my question back to them always is, why would you want to? Why would you do anything that would put your relationship with God in question. It's the greatest gift that you would ever receive. And so salvation is something that you are sure, you can be sure of. When you're saved, you're saved. 
When you're saved, you have a God that not only saves you, but a God who is well able to keep you. You can trust the same Savior that saved you to keep you. Rest in the assurance of the fact that God is able to keep those who belong to him if you walk in relationship with him. John chapter 10, verse 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. 1 John 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not hope, but know that you have eternal life. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, but the found, firm foundation of God, of God has written upon it these two inscriptions, the Lord recognizes those who are truly His and everyone who worships the name of the Lord Jesus must forsake wickedness. This is especially near and dear to me because there was a time in my life that I struggled worrying about my salvation. I'll give you a quick story here. I was raised in a pastor's home, raised in church, church all of my life, and my dad preached the gospel. He was a strong preacher of the gospel, and at every service that he would have, he would give an invitation for people to come to Christ. And back in our tradition in those days, the way someone accepted Christ in, in our church is that at the end of the sermon, my, pat, my dad would come down and stand at the front part of the platform, and we would sing a, a song of invitation, and anyone who wanted to accept Christ would walk the aisle. Anybody here remember the phrases of walk in the aisle? Okay. So you'd walk the aisle, you'd get out of your seat, you'd walk down, you'd shake the pastor's hand, you'd say, I want to give my life to Jesus, he'd pray a prayer with you, and sit you down, somebody else would talk to you at the end of the service. Well, when I was seven years of age, I'd already met Jesus because my dad led me to Christ when I was seven in my bedroom one night. I've told you that story before, but, but even as a seven-year-old boy, I, I was aware of the fact that I would mess up from time to time, and so I wasn't sure if I had my salvation because I did some things that were wrong. And so about every six months, I needed to make it back down to the altar again. Okay. So I'm back down again, shaking my daddy's hand. Okay. Pray for me. I need to get saved again. Okay. And I'm sure my dad was getting worn out by this, okay? About every six months, what did you do now, Dale? Okay. <laughs> and so we had this ongoing process because I wasn't sure. I was struggling with the fact. I'm not sure I'm really saved because if I'm saved, why not do this stuff? Have you ever asked that question before? If I'm really saved, why not do the stuff I do sometimes? And I remember we had a, a, had a revival at our church, and I was about 10 years old at this time, and my dad knew I was struggling with this thing, and so he asked the evangelist to spend a little bit of time with me. And I still remember going out into the parking lot of our little Baptist church there, and this evangelist knelt down on his knees, and he took his Bible, big old Bible, and opened it up, and he took me to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. He said, I want to help you to be sure that you're saved. And he read what I read for you a moment ago, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. He made me read it. What does that say? You will be saved. And he said, do you believe that God does what he says he's going to do? Does God fulfill his promise? Yes. Do you believe that it says if you do these things, you will be saved? Yes, I believe it. And he prayed with me. And I will tell you from that time forward, there's never been a moment in time that I've doubted my salvation. It freed me in a way that I could, could not describe. I still remember it to this day. Because the devil likes to come along and cause you to question your salvation. 
that when you do something wrong or you mess up in some way, he comes along and says, if you were really a Christian, you wouldn't do that. If you were really, and so then he condemns you and discourages you, and then you stop coming to church, you stop reading your Bible, and before long, you're back in the world again that you came out of because you've been condemned or discouraged by the adversary. I want you to know there's a difference between being saved and growing as a Christian, okay? That you need to be saved, but then you also need to continue to grow as a Christian believer. But you need to get settled in your heart. Have you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? And if you have, do you believe that God raised him from the dead? Then salvation is yours. You have received from Jesus the ticket to eternal life. Are you going to mess up at times? A couple of you are. The rest of you... I'm blinded by your halos, okay? First <laughs> John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. First John 2, continuing that same thing. My little children. I like the way John writes. He's probably about 90 years old when he wrote these words. My little children, I'm telling you this so that you will stay away from sin. That's good advice, isn't it? But if you sin, there is someone to plead for you with the Father, before the Father. His name is Jesus Christ, the one who is all that is good and who pleases God completely. He's the one who took God's wrath against our sins upon himself and brought us into fellowship with God. And he is glory to God. He is. He is the forgiveness for our sins and not only ours, but all the world. Amen. Salvation, it's not automatic. Not automatic. Can't qualify yourself. But your ticket to heaven has been purchased for you by Jesus Christ. The question is, what, will you claim your ticket? Will you take your ticket? And once you claim that ticket, to know that you can be sure that eternal life is yours. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, we thank you today for the opportunity that we've had to study your word. We thank you for the gospel, the good news. Thank you, Lord, for the good news of salvation. Lord, we were lost and helpless to save ourselves, but you came down in your love and you redeemed us. Lord, I pray that you'll help us, that those of us who received that wonderful gift, to celebrate it, to live in the joy of it, to share it with others. And I also pray for those today that have never received it, that today would be their day of firming up their commitment to you and establishing in their hearts this salvation that is freely offered. For that we thank you in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus... I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. 
Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.